Welcome to our very first episode of Money Moves, a podcast brought to you by the Globe and Mail's content studio and RBC InvestEase. I'm Melissa Leong. How much do you know about investing? Like, really know? Okay, listen, don't freak out. I'm not going to quiz you. I promise this is going to be fun. In this show, I'm going to take you on a journey to empowerment through knowledge. So let's get this thing started. This podcast is brought to you by RBC Investees. Invest online with the expertise of RBC Portfolio Advisors while saving on management fees. Sit back, track your progress, and let the professionals do all the work for you. RBC Investees is investing made simple. The logical place to start our journey is at the very beginning. And I want you to know a bit about me. So I'm going to call someone who's known me my whole life. Yes? Hi, Dad. Yeah, hi. What are you doing? No, nothing. Watching TV. That's my dad, Stanley Leong. He's always game for my random questions. Hey, so I was remembering that you gave us these shoe boxes when we were little to put our money in. I think it was supposed to be a piggy bank, but I'm not sure. Yeah, you know, he served a few purpose. You know, you know, lots of time you need uh, spare money for lunch and buy stuff at school. So instead of keep asking me for money, I put money in the shoebox. Just go to the shoebox and get it. Similar piggy bank. Now I called the family home and I know who's sitting there right beside my dad on speakerphone. Time to loop in my sister, Tiffany. I call her Tiffy. First, one more question for my dad. I wanted to ask you, what do you think the difference is between Tiffy and I? Why did she spend it and why did I save it? She, she likes stuff and she wanted to buy and, uh, you know, without thinking. We were so totally different with our shoebox money. I hoarded mine. Tiffy, not so much. Yeah, I mean, I remember not having any left in the shoebox. Like, I would spend all of it and I would be so sad that there would be none left. So, I mean, not everybody gets that opportunity, so we're very lucky to have that. I agree with my sister. We were lucky to have parents who wanted us to learn about financial management. My parents were immigrants, and back in the 80s, our prime money-in-the-shoebox years, my parents worked around the clock. Dad worked weekdays for the government and weekends at the family restaurant. My mom raised two kids and made money on the side as a seamstress. If I woke up in the middle of the night, I could hear the sewing machine going and going in the basement. From my dear parents, I learned about hard work and savings. But I didn't learn a thing about what to do with those savings. I didn't know my savings could be put to work. Fast forward a few decades, and I've made it my life's work to help you understand your own attitude towards money and investing and how to help you get what you want out of life. So here we are with this brand new podcast. We will explore topics like how you can think like an analyst or how you can keep your cool and invest in volatile times. There are robo-advisors and direct investing, active versus passive. There's just so much to talk about. And the point is to bring it all back so that it makes sense in your life and your bank account because we all want different things out of life. And investing money is really about investing in yourself. Now, I'm going to introduce you to someone who has also made it his life's work to break all of this down for you. Bruce Sellery is a money expert and the author of Moolala, Why Smart People Do Dumb Things With Their Money and What You Can Do About It. He also hosts a podcast called Moolala, Money Made Simple. 
And honestly, I have known and admired Bruce for a long time. When you're talking to Bruce, talking about investing can even be fun. Oh my God, I'm so nervous. You should be. <laughs> <laughs> I'm super excited okay. about this. I'm really excited. I'm excited. Anyway. When I am not recording this podcast, yeah. I am obsessively listening to your podcast, yes. Moolala, Money Made Simple. Yes. With Bruce, does, do I sound like the announcer? You do. Bit? You do. Because I listen to it a yeah. lot. So I'm super excited. I'm just going to dive in. Diving. Deep. How deep is the pool? Because I won't dive into anything that's less like than Like over deep. deep. Like we're going to get emotional okay. here. Okay. Okay. I just want to learn more about how your family handled money and where all your wisdom and values came from. Where did all that come from? (laughs) So I am the youngest of five kids. And if you can imagine, I can't even imagine parenting five kids, but you can imagine there's a certain utility to rules. So there were a lot of rules in my family growing up. There was a way to do things. And uh, allowance was delivered in the form of an entry in a ledger. So there was a ledger... on the top shelf of the left cupboard in the kitchen, and it accumulated over the course of time, age-appropriate amounts. But when you wanted to withdraw money, you would find my dad and say, I'd like to take some money out of my allowance, and he would bring down the ledger and ask you what you wanted to withdraw the money for. So he wasn't a gatekeeper. I interpreted, you know, looking back, as he wanted to ensure that we were conscious of the money that we were spending. So we'd be like, well, dad, I'm going with my friends to the Max Milk um, variety store and I'm thinking of getting like two packs of sweet tarts is kind of where I'm going with this. And he'd say, okay, <laughs> and he'd give, me the, you know, he'd give me the 20 cents or whatever. So there was a very, very strong culture around that. And we all also all worked. We all worked from a very young age. We did every job, the paper route and the babysitting. And my brother started a lawn maintenance company when he was 13. He sold that business to me when I was 13 for 50% of year one revenue and book value on equipment. So I was in serious work mode, very, very young, very young. And then I had to pay taxes as a 14 year old because that was when the fiscal ended. And I was infuriated that I had to pay taxes. And my account was like, listen, you can defer that tax if you open up an RSP. So I've had an RSP since I was 14 because I've had earned income that long. So my family has a very strong culture around money. We, um, you know, and there's the pros and cons of that. But the pro is that I was imprinted with a very, very strong values-oriented framework for how to get a better handle on your money. That's amazing, Bruce. I'm pretty sure I was still playing with Barbie. <laughs> right. <laughs> I probably would have said, I'll babysit your Barbie for a dollar an hour. And I would have like had a little business. Yeah. I mean, I, I love that you were mad about taxes. I mean, I- Infuriated. I may have been mad about taxes if I was making money. Yeah. And I was just mad about having wearing dental headgear oh, to yeah. school. It's amazing my dad didn't make us pay for our braces because we all had them. So you said you had an RSP. What was your I don't know, your aha moment when it came to actually investing it? So my dad was super into investing. So he told me where to put it. I put it there and just did what he said. And it wasn't really until I graduated from business school, I had a job, and I started to think about, mm, I need to think about retirement. I'm now in my 20s. I need to think about more, more seriously about retirement and uh, where to invest. I walked into a financial advisor's office with uh, none of the perspective that I have now and none of the confidence that I have now. I just assumed that this person would tell me what to do and I would just do what they told me to do. And for a number of years, that's how it unfolded. And I was completely disengaged. And then I had some real disappointment about that relationship and the results that I was getting and started to take a more active role. 
So your father told you where to invest your money. Did you have any understanding of why it was important to do that? Uh, I did in that I understood the most important mathematical equation in the entire world, which you're <laughs> smiling. You please tell me you and I are on the same page about the most we important. Might be. The most important mathematical equation in the entire world is compound interest period, full stop, the most important thing. And I knew that if I saved in a savings account, I would not get the return that I would potentially get, actually certainly get over long periods of time if I had some exposure to the stock market. Bruce, what is compound interest? So compound interest is the idea that you earn interest on your interest. So say you have $100 and in a year you have like a 20% return. All of a sudden you've got $120. Well, in five years, every uh, incremental dollar that you earned is now increasing at 20%. So it's an exponential curve. In that first year, you added 20 bucks. But in the next year, you add 24 bucks. And in the next year, it's more and more and more and more and more. So picture a very, very steep curve upwards that even if you start with a small base, just a little nest egg, because you're compounding and you're, you're not spending that $20 that you earned, you're leaving it in there, it grows exponentially over time. There are a lot of people who get the idea, yeah, investing would be good when it comes to making more money. What would you say to somebody? Why is it important to invest? So two things. Number one, I think it's important to delineate between saving and investing. So saving is the squirrel who puts something away for the future. Investing is about two things in my mind, risk and return. And the return part goes back to compound interest. If you're making a reasonable return, it grows and grows and grows and grows and grows. But the second part, why one invests, is to mitigate some risk. So you're investing in a diversified portfolio to mitigate the risk of one thing going up. We've well, got something else that you know might be going down at the very same time. You're also mitigating against the risk of longevity. And that is a very difficult concept for anyone. I mean, maybe when you're 50 and your joints start to fail, you can think about it. <laughs> but for a 20-year-old to think about your 92-year-old self is virtually impossible. Still, that is, to me, the compelling reasons is you want to uh, make your money work for you and earn the highest return possible. You also want to mitigate the risk of, you know, geez, what happens if I live to 100 right. years old? I need money to put groceries in my right. fridge. And I think most young people in particular now know that the thought of having a defined benefit pension plan is, you know, like the equivalent of a unicorn that can tap dance. It's just it's not yeah. magical. Yeah, yeah, but a unicorn that can tap dance, not just <laughs> yeah, a, that's a very unicorn. Exist. I mean, please, they exist. But do they all tap dance? They do not. Mm -hmm. They do not. I like to picture myself in my 90s. Yeah. I think of myself like Cher. Oh, yeah. You know, like when if I'm you could turn back time. Yeah. If you could turn back. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm going to be 70 dancing, sparkly underwear. Yeah, 70. I, yeah, do you I need picture money 95. For that. That's a very different phase of life, 95 than 70. Well, I'm trying to be positive. Yeah. My, my grandfather lived How, lived how long? In their 90s. Yeah, mine too. Maybe another reason why I'm so passionate about people investing is it gives you choices. If you have that nest egg, you have choices. And it, it you do not have to look far to find seniors who have very difficult circumstances for a lot of reasons. Not just, oh, they were going to Ibiza and didn't invest you know, over the future. Right. They could have had divorce and job loss and illness and all that kind of stuff. But to look at a 90-year-old with no choices is, uh, or an 80-year-old or a 70-year-old is really heartbreaking. 
thing when, for many people, there's something you could have done to intervene. I get it. I think to think about the future thinking, okay, well, I have to worry about my future self, but my current self is struggling, Yeah. right? I am overwhelmed with raising kids or student debt or trying to figure out how I'm going to get to the end of the day with all the things that are on my to-do list. Oh, now I have to learn about investing. Yeah. Now I have to uh, do something that I find overwhelming or scary or I'm still in debt. I don't have money. How am I supposed to put money towards uh, the future? So yeah. what do you think are the most common causes that prevent people from investing? Uh, I think they're the most common causes that prevent people from getting a handle on their money in any way. And there are four. They are context, consequences, complexity, and community. And these are the four C factors I write about, talk about. You know, I could I could talk about them all day in any context. But the first one, context, is answering the question, what is your money for? And that is a values-oriented act of creation. You make it up. It's not a description. It's not my money is for the mortgage, though in practice, of course, it is. It's more, my money is for family. My money mm-hmm. is for home. My money is for beauty. My money is for adventure. And when you shift the conversation to that, it gives you a whole new perspective on what you're fighting for. Because uh, there are some very tough decisions that most people, maybe not um, the wealthiest of the wealthy, but most people need to make trade-offs in the moment. And they're not clear on what they're actually trading off. So they're trading off, um, let's just talk about time, for example. You're trading off hours on Netflix or hours at sleep versus getting a second or third job. So if it was all about beauty for you and you were really, really clear, you might be willing to drive for Uber on weekends so that you could afford to put that back deck on the patio or whatever it is. So context is the first thing and it permeates everything. It is the setting in which an event occurs. That's what the word means. But it alters everything to know that why am I doing this? I'm doing this for something that is deeply and viscerally important to me. The second one is consequences. And people have a very hard time connecting their behavior today with its consequence, which is what happens afterwards. And partly that's because of the world that we live in with credit cards and the accessibility of credit, the ease of any of the food delivery services, right, that make life so easy and expensive at the same time. People have a hard time connecting those two things. So that's another part of it with investing is they can't connect. Ah, if I do a food delivery service and spend I'm going to make up a number, $100 a month on that, where I could have just had ramen noodles. That's $1,200 a year. If I took $1,200 a year and invested it over the course of 35 years at 5 or 6% interest rate, whatever, that's $1.4 million. Wow. $1.4 million. Because I, I just I did love it this morning. Ramen noodles. They're so good. But I don't love them that much. You love them $1.4 million <laughs> much? Half a million, maybe. If, if you, every time you tried to order on one of those apps, it said, Are you sure? Because your $1.4 million is at stake, you might make right. a different choice. RBC Investees is an online portfolio manager that provides you with a simple, automated way to invest online. Simply answer some questions online, and your money will be invested in a mix of low-cost, exchange-traded funds, or ETFs, to suit your needs. With RBC Investees, you get the benefit of smart technology, a personalized portfolio, and low-cost investing, backed by a team of experts who will do all the work for you. RBC Investees is investing made simple. Okay, so that was... Consequences. Consequences. Complexity is the idea that um, there's 12,000 things you could do to get a handle on your money. 
but there aren't 12,000 things you need to do to get a handle on your money. And I use the example of um, running a marathon. I ran my first marathon a long time ago. And that thought as a non-athlete was like, you need to be an Olympian in order to run a marathon. Like that is like an impossible task. It's never going to happen. And one of my running friends, I was just like running 5Ks around whatever. They said, it's actually quite easy to know what to do. The plan to run a marathon is very, very easy. You run a long run that increases by a kilometer every week. You make sure you have good shoes. That's kind of it. That's okay. that, that's it. And the third thing is register for the marathon before you start training. Okay. So how you follow through on running every single Sunday and increasing by, by a kilometer a week, that's excruciating and difficult and horrible. But what there is to do, very simple. What there is to do to, to invest, very, very simple. It's never been simpler. Doing it is difficult because you have to unlock the cash flow to put it to right. work for you. So what is the equivalent when it comes to investing to getting good shoes? Uh, the so, so the number trade. one thing you would do is uh, automate a transfer from your primary bank account into your whatever that place is that you are going to invest in. There's lots of different places, but automate it. In today's day and age, one's ability to get performance from the markets is easy and it is cheap. Never before in anyone's lifetime has it been so easy and so cheap to do. So you just need to go do that. Okay, so let's finish the C's and yeah. then I'm going to swing back okay. to that. The last C is about community. Uh, and you and I have talked about this over the years. There is a tremendous taboo around talking about money and it's uh, tragic to me. So one thing that I think is so important is for people to figure out who they can give to in their community, who, who they can be helpful to, and who they can get from. So you, you may have an aunt who's just really good with her money. So take her for coffee and have her be your mentor, hold you accountable, do whatever, whatever. Uh, book a group of friends, and instead of reading yet another Danielle Steele page turner at your book club, <laughs> read Melissa Leong's book, read Bruce Sowery's book, read Kelly Keene's book, read any of those amazing books out there and work through it as a group and say, you know what? We're not going to run a marathon together. We're going to get a handle on our money together. So instead Love of it. going for the long run on Sunday, let's meet Tuesday at nine and we're going to have a weekly, monthly, whatever it is, accountability check in so that we're helping each other forward this goal. I love it. And I've tried to set those up. I, yeah. I try to lure people with cheese. Oh, you know, nice. Cheese. I love Just cheese. Just come and have cheese. We'll talk yeah. a little bit about money. Yeah. You know? Okay, so I'm going to swing back because you said to automate the flow of money into a separate account. Yeah where you can invest it. What investments are available for beginners? Okay, so there are basically two, I'm gonna say two types of investments. There's equities, which is the stock market, and there's fixed income, which is the bond market. They move in different ways, you want a little bit of both. So if you say, okay, that equity part, what could I have? I could buy individual stocks, I could buy exchange-traded funds, I could buy mutual funds. That's very simply put. And then there is literally thousands of mutual funds and exchange traders. There's tons and tons and tons of them. Uh, on the fixed income side, you could buy GICs, you could buy bonds, you could buy exchange-traded funds, you could buy mutual funds. So there's lots of different things. It's very, very simple. Like the portfolio construction for an average Canadian 20-year-old or 30-year-old, it could be four products. Like it's really, really, really simple to construct a very basic portfolio. And I think technology has stepped in and made that a lot easier. You have oh, yeah. robo-advisors. It is so fast these days. Really the barrier 
has been taken away in terms of um, you know how hard it is to do that stuff. It's so simple now. Are there actual barriers to investing? Uh, sure, I think there are barriers. The, the ones that I mentioned, all those um, C factors, and there's some uh, really crucial barriers that occur in the way that our brains are designed. And there is an evolving field called behavioral finance, behavioral economics, whatever you want to call it, that outlines how... Uh, <laughs> poor our brain is about making choices that are the best for us. Because if we really, really internalized compound interest and we really internalized the need for our 95-year-old self to have groceries, we would make some different choices because right. some of this, not all of it, but some of it is spending around the margins, right? So if you alter you know, your data plan or cable or your cell phone or you take one less vacation, whatever those choices are, and I know that sounds like kind of a, a very privileged set of ideas, but I think it applies at all income levels, perhaps maybe excluding the lowest where people are, you know, really living on the streets. But there are choices that you can make in the short term that are going to give you a significantly better result over the long term with not that much effort. Mm. And I, I'm using air quotes on not much effort because for some people it's like, are you kidding me? Are you telling me that I am going to need to go with a cell phone plan that has limited data? I can't even fathom that, right? Or are you kidding me? I'm going to have to take public transit to work instead of parking down to, you know, these seem like big trade-offs. And I don't mean to minimize that they are. It's just let's make those trade-offs based on the data that we have. Or be aware yeah. that you are making a trade-off. Yeah. So those are perceived barriers. It's, it's yeah. basically your, my own brain or my own humanity is holding me back. Are there any actual barriers, like, yeah. for example, debt? Like, I have debt. Should I not invest? Uh, so if you have debt, it's not that you shouldn't invest. It's that you need to think about it from a mindset and a mathematical perspective. So let's say it's just consumer debt, just meaning uh, it's not you don't have 12 different kinds of debt. You've just got consumer debt, like a credit, credit card. card the math answer to that is very simple. If you're paying 25% on a credit card, you need to focus on eliminating that debt because mathematically, no matter what you do in the stock market, it's never going to be a guaranteed return of 25%. That being said, there's also something to be said for the mindset of, okay, like I'm hammering away on that credit card debt, but I'm also contributing to a TFSA or an RSP. And if it's an RSP, I'm going to take that increased tax refund and put it on my credit card. So you can talk about that and we could you know, rationalize either direction. Debt is one very practical barrier. The other very practical barrier is cash flow, which is going to make me sound like I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth here. But I think there are many people who really, really, really have no choices on how they deal with the cost of the home that they are in and the revenue that they are able to earn given their circumstances. Now, that's a very tough uh, test to apply because a lot of people say, that's me. There's nothing I could do. And then you hear people who are living in a $2,000 a month condo and making 40 grand a year. And you think that math doesn't work. But it's really helpful to look in the mirror and say, what assumptions am I making that aren't entirely accurate. And I hear that really on uh, a lot of the lifestyle choices that people make. And there is a statement that follows either articulated or not, which is, I deserve. Mm. I deserve a certain life. I deserve right. a certain phone. I deserve a certain meal. I deserve. It's like, yeah, maybe. <laughs> but in practical terms, that is a very problematic uh, tape mm. to run in your head. When I talk to my girlfriends about why they don't invest, yes, there's lack of knowledge. Yes, there's talk about, well, I'm still paying down my student debt and all these other things. But a lot of them are scared. Mm. So are there pitfalls? Absolutely. And fear is an enormous one. And the fear manifests. Is it valid? 
listen, I, you can never invalidate someone's fears. Explaining away people's fears isn't sufficient, isn't a sufficient way to allay those fears. I think where I go in those conversations is coming back to, again, this idea of context. When money is for something that is more compelling than the fear that is holding you back, you will go for it. Now, I am someone who believes through every fiber of my being that courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is the mastery of fear. And so when it comes to investing, how do we enable and empower Canadians to act anyway? Not to try and minimize the fear, solve it or dilute it. Act anyway, because it is scary. I get it. It is scary. Let's have them act anyway. Amazing. Thank you so much, Bruce. Totally my pleasure. I could talk for days about investing. I I could talk with you for days about investing. I could listen to you for days. And I actually do. Your other podcast. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Okay, Bruce shared a lot of great information today. So I'm going to give you my three key takeaways. The three things that you can put in your back pocket and walk away with for this episode. Number one, Bruce said you need to ask yourself, what is your money for? Family, beauty, adventure? Think about what you value most. And then investing won't just be about sacrifices and money. It'll be about creating the life you want to live. Number two, Bruce has a great analogy about running a marathon. The plan for it is actually easy. Run one more kilometer each week and get good shoes. That's it. So when it comes to investing, make your plan simple. Bruce says automation can be a great place to start. And I agree. And finally, number three. Remember, compound interest, as Bruce says, is the most important mathematical equation in the universe. And it simply means that you earn interest on your interest. And a very small amount can become big with time. Thank you so much to Bruce Celery for your wisdom and your passion for financial literacy. Thanks to my sister, Tiffy, Tiffany Leong, and my dad, Stanley Leong, for letting me put them in this podcast. Love you. And thank you for listening. Ta-da! That was our very first episode. If you think it's important to understand your money, the money you made, share this podcast with a friend. Send the show to them right now. If you enjoyed this show, please find it on Apple Podcasts and rate and review it. Leave a few words on how much you're liking it and why you want to share the show. It really helps us get the word out. And remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. This show was produced by Hannah Sung with additional audio editing by Pippa Johnstone. Our executive producer is Kieran Rana. Now remember, folks, the opinions expressed by people on the show belong to the individuals and are not the opinions or advice of RBC or its affiliates. And the information in this podcast is intended as general information only and should not be relied upon as providing legal, tax, financial, or other professional advice. I'm Melissa Leong. Thank you so much for listening to Money Moves.